0: AI is eating the web as we speak. And what that means for business leaders is this. The time to embrace AI technology is now. Because for people like us, automation helps us do more with less while continuing to meet and exceed business expectations. It's basically magic. If you haven't tried HubSpot's new AI features, you should do that. Content Assistant and ChatSpot are two brand new tools that will immediately save you and your team time. HubSpot's features run on ChatGPT's tech to help you make compelling content and manage your CRM way faster than before. We're talking ad copy, data analytics, workflow automations, all with a chat command. So work smarter, not harder, and head to HubSpot.com slash artificial intelligence to learn more about using AI to streamline your marketing, sales, and customer service ops. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CEO School. I'm your host, Sanira Madani, and today we are going to be talking all things people and HR. But wait, don't don't end the episode already right now. This is going to be super important, and we're going to make HR sexy. I promise by the end of it, you're going to say, this was such an important episode, and I promise you're going to screenshot this episode, and you're going to tag me, and you're going to tag my guests, and you're going to say, Thank you so much for covering these topics, the topics that not everybody wants to talk about. But it's super, super important, especially as entrepreneurs and as CEOs, that we tackle this head on and know how to effectively scale our organizations with the power of HR. So I am bringing on an incredible HR expert with us today, Kira LaForgia, who is the CEO of Paradigm Consulting, and she has been an HR expert for now 15 years, and she is hella cool you guys like I've just been getting talking to her getting to know her she does not feel like your typical HR person that you meet and she just has so much expertise here so we're going to be discussing all the things that you need as a business owner as a CEO to make sure that you not only are just like forget the word compliance but are effectively growing your organization with the right tools and resources and most importantly you know, creating a team and a culture that is excited to show up for work, that is super productive, and that supports you as well to remove all of the headaches off of business, which honestly, the hardest part about being CEO is the people side of business. People is the hardest business, and as CEOs, we are in the business of people. So without further ado, I'm super excited to welcome Kira to CEO School. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was like the best introduction of all
1: time. I'm putting it on my resume. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I, I just, I'm, I'm so excited to get to, this is such an important topic and I appreciate my intro skills after like 300 <laughs> episodes now have gotten like progressively better over time. Uh, and I, I didn't actually like view anything. I'm just, you actually taught an amazing workshop for us inside of our CEO school membership. And it was one of the most engaging workshops that we had. And so if you guys are part of the CEO school's Membership. Come inside the membership. You'll find Kira's workshop. And for those of you that are not part of our membership yet, I will be linking the CEO Collective inside of our show notes because you have to be part of the community. We have the most amazing experts always inside, teaching important, relevant topics. And so that workshop was fire. And I've never met um, someone besides. I will have to give a shout out to my, you know, my previous HR manager. Uh, PJ, who ran Stack's organization for the last, you know, seven years, seven out of the 10 years that I was CEO, um, she was side by side with me scaling an organization from, I think when I brought her on board, it was like 30 employees is when we finally, 30 to 40 employees we brought on our like first official HR person. And she was with us post the billion dollar exit and exited post when I exited um, and we built the company together side by side. And that was one person on my leadership team that I could not function without every day. And so I value this so much. And I truly understand as a CEO, the importance of this. And HR is not compliance. It's truly all about people and people are the most important part of our business. So Kira, besides PJ, you're the only other person <laughs> that I have met that... Has made HR like actually really interesting. So I would love for the audience to just share a little bit about your background, how you got started, and what made you start this, uh, your company. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. And I love that you have an appreciation
1: for the skills of HR people because it is truly. It's not just compliance, like you said. Actually, the best HR people are really focused on the experience of the people, and that is sort of where I started. I actually was mistreated through an organization right out of college and, you know, escaped with, you know, barely escaped with my mental health in order. Um, and then I actually went into small business and meaning in person about 50 employees, not quite as small as maybe a few of our listeners that might have a couple of employees or contractors and things like that. Um, but throughout that experience, I also got myself into a situation where I had really severe burnout that was eventually diagnosed with PTSD. And that just came about from me thinking I had to do everything. So talk about like pot and kettle or whatever thing, whatever that saying is, famously never know what they are. Um, I was the one that was telling everyone we have to lean on each other. We have to lead each other. We have to develop each other. Our job as leaders is to do, you know, to build each other up. And I was putting so much on my back in the interest of just making sure that I deserved my position as running this this organization. And it led to a moment of complete shutdown. My mental health shut down. My physical health was suffering, but a literal moment where I was leaving my house to go to work and I couldn't go like I had to call my mom she had to come and bring me some Ativan like I had to stop I had a full-on panic attack and throughout that process I had to delegate I had to get things off my plate my phone was blowing up 24 hours a day I had to pass this off to the other company leaders all the things that I had to do and in a very humbling experience I realized that no one was the wiser so I had been holding on to all of this and all of these tasks all of these calls all of this importance that I felt like I I needed to do in order to deserve my paycheck. Just to find out that the leaders that were working for the company, some of them had already worked for me for five, six, and seven years, were now in a position to lead. And they were ready. And they were like, great, get out of my way. And the clients continued to be happy. The staff was served better while I took time for myself. The leader stepped up and did their jobs. And as a result, that company, over learning that hard lesson and my diagnosis with PTSD, that company it went up 30% in revenue by just hiring and delegating effectively to a team of managers and directors. So now my job is done not only by me leading the company as a COO, but also with a team of seven directors and managers. And I was doing all of that by myself. So well-deserved burnout, but at the same point there were, truly no one was the
0: wiser. There's no such thing as well-deserved, <laughs> no such thing as well-deserved burnout. Actually it, it, it's funny because I say that about my like 10 year journey. It's like, Oh, that was, you know, Worked really hard, really successful. So yeah. there is that. There is that payoff from it, but it is. It is. It, it's. I still feel like I could have done it without the burnout. Like it, it, it's not. It's not a. Uh, I love that you came about that realization that you can grow and scale, and it's funny. It happens to every successful person. We believe that we're the only ones that can do it all and have to hoard all that knowledge, and it can't be done without us. And then when push puffs to shove, like you actually realize you're like, oh shit, someone can actually do the job, but they can do it even better. Mm -hmm. And then you can go focus on other things and make the company even better. So um, I'm glad that that took place. I'm sorry about the poor experience that you had to suffer through. Um, But here you are now Mm -hmm. with that experience. How did you end up starting your company then?
1: Yeah, so essentially, because I had been doing all these different people's jobs, I had figured out how to make things super efficient, super streamlined, and really straightforward, especially when it came to the back-end HR, the compliance, the policies, the payroll, you know, all that stuff that we hate doing, but it's on our task list almost every single day. And I figured out how to make that really efficient so that I could focus on the development of my people that were really the ones that are delivering all these amazing results and creating pathways for success for the company. And once I realized that we could do that and replicate it for other businesses, is it opened up an opportunity for us to create a real service that could speak right to the needs of scaling businesses owners to make sure that that compliance and stuff is in check without you having to go to school, earn a master's in organizational management like I did, or get 10 years of specific HR small business experience, but actually just have it handed to you, but have it built around your values so that you could actually tell us what do you want it to feel like at your company? And we could infuse that into what your handbook looks like, what your policies look like, what it looks like for you to show up as a leader, what your team's relying on you for. It's not just performance management and, you know, basically like doing one on ones every week. Like things have to have a purpose behind them. And if they don't, then we shouldn't do them. We don't have time, you know, especially as entrepreneurs, there's a million other things we can be doing. We have a really special brain in that way. And I think that it was, you know, over the years, it's been really fun to see. We've helped almost 70 small businesses ranging from from $100,000 a year to over $10 million a year businesses. Some are planning on being acquired. Some are in it for the long haul. Some are hiring their first employee. Some are getting their HR together for the first time with their 15 employees. Um, And it's been super awesome to see how we've been able to replicate that process to set the foundations for all of those businesses, regardless of what their goals are and things like that. We've been able to really fine tune it to have it speak to the needs of the business. And it lets us be really creative. And it also lets us do our favorite thing, which is to care about our people through our HR policies and procedures and to show our team we care about them. So we're really proud about the companies that we work for because they have really high retention rates of their teams. They feel like they're even part of our community, even part of our membership, even their employees checking in on them when they have babies. You know, we get to celebrate right alongside all these businesses, so we've kind of become like the mother hen, I guess, when it comes to things like that. Um, but one thing we learned was that you just don't need an HR person on your team, but you do have to follow the same HR rules, policies, and procedures as every other business out there, whether you have a hundred million dollars in revenue or. a month in revenue. The laws still apply. You may not think, oh, I need to hire an employee because I don't have quite the income for that yet. Well, we don't get to decide that. What do you want the employee or what do you want the person to do? That tells you if they need to be a contractor or an employee. So it's really about kind of revisiting all of it and making it accessible for all businesses to set a foundation that you only have to do once. And then from there, you just have to maintain it and stay on top of it. And it benefits you not only on the legal side, but also on the people side, because that's really how we scale. We don't use people. We help people develop. And that's what essentially essentially expands the footprint of our business by bringing people in and helping them to help us grow. So it's really fun to kind of see how both of those things play together.
0: I love it. I do agree with everything that you said. I'd love to ask you a little bit about what are the top things that you see, um, you know, business owners, especially at the early stage, because one of the misconceptions is, well, I don't need an HR person yet. But I love that you said that doesn't matter whether you're at one employee or you know 15 employees or 100 million in revenue. The laws of the laws and HR is, is is still part of it. What are the things like our audiences? Everyone listening are all they're all entrepreneurs at different stages. What are the things that they need to be paying attention to? What's like a checklist that you have? What are the mistakes that you see? So I'd love for you to kind of give us a quick little rundown of things that we should all make sure that we have our um, T's cross and our I's dotted.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest mistake I see is that people think, oh, I need employees, so I'm gonna immediately go download an employee handbook from somewhere. I have said this a million times, but it did take me a while to figure this out, so it's not that obvious, so don't feel bad if you're one of those people. Um, but an employee handbook is a two-sided agreement, which means that it's a legal document that essentially you are committing to the same way that you want your team to commit to it. I would rather you not have an employee handbook than have something generic off the shelf. It's much better for your culture. It's much better for your business. And it doesn't hold you to standards that you aren't even aware of. So I think when it comes down to those initial things that you want to make sure that you have and that you have in place, the really tactile and tangible things that you need is just make sure that you have a set of company policies and you have agreements that protect you and protect your employees with the same in this at the same rate. So when that comes to like you could write something up yourself if you want to. We have a a mini employee handbook that isn't super compliant it's more about the cultural policies time off requests you know things like that um, that you can grab and download it's only six policies if you were to download an employee handbook offline it'd be like 65 pages you don't you don't know half of what they're signing. So I'd rather you just didn't. And you you really spent a little bit more time focusing on your values and your mission and what it is that you're really trying to accomplish and focus on infusing that into your people um, while protecting yourself through a couple of really kind of minimum viable compliance measures. <laughs> so, you know, getting people into a payroll system to make sure they're paid fairly is going to be number one. Um, but just remember, payroll compliance and HR compliance aren't the same thing. So even if it's just booking a consult, making sure you have the basics down or getting into a super affordable membership to make sure that you are aware of the way that these laws and compliance rules play into the way that you want to run your culture. Um, so one thing we always hear a lot about is our clients want to have they start dreaming about, like, I want to have these four day work weeks or paid time off or we want to take two weeks off at the end of the year or I want to have this a bonus structure and all of that. And all of it's great. Get all of your ideas down on paper. But we do have to reverse engineer those in a really compliant and legal way. And just taking that really seriously, making sure that you're doing your due diligence because you can't offer perks and benefits in a competitive environment unless you're willing to make sure and invest in the compliance and legal pieces on the back end. But that doesn't mean you can't grow if you can't afford like a big huge HR thing, um, but it does mean that you should plan to incorporate that into your business model in the same way that you plan for branding or your website or your graphic designer or you know all the more fun things that we I would definitely rather be doing.
0: Um. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't usually it doesn't come to mind to say you know I, I could see this so often where uh, for example the you know if you can share some tactical stuff around it because. The four-day work week, the last two weeks of the year—these are all things that many companies want are aspiring to do. But definitely, like, what you know, why what are the compliance structures with that that you are trying to share? that we're missing, because why can't a CEO just say, yeah, we're going to take the last two weeks off in December? Why can't that be as simple as that? You can say that, but then you have to think about
1: the experience of each individual person. So if are you going to pay them for that time or are you not going to pay them for that time? So let's say you're like, no, I don't want to have any bills at the end of the year. I want to close the business and I don't want to have to pay anybody. Then actually it's going to go all the way back into how you're building out their role and their job description, because how we're classifying them as an employee and on the state that they live in is going to tell us whether or not we are able to make those decisions. So in that particular case, let's say you want to take two weeks off at the end of every year, but you also want to shut down the whole business and you're a smaller business. So maybe you can't afford to pay people unless there are actual things going on and clients coming in or, you know, whatever the case may be. Then you need to make sure that you're hiring people as hourly employees that are non-exempt, which means that they're going to legally be able to be paid as hourly employees and you're not guaranteeing them hours during off time for the company. So that's a really tactical and tangible tip is to make sure that you're classifying your people correctly based on what the business Business needs. If you're not sure, if you are another tactical or tangible thing is many people think that you have to just hire somebody full time right out the gate. I would actually reverse that and say go ahead and brainstorm what you need this person to do the out the the task that you need on their plate, and then go ahead and seek out some type of support or spend a a whole day researching if you can't afford the support to make sure that you're classifying them correctly as an employee or a contractor. And there is so much information out there about this, but it does depend on the state and sometimes the city in which they live can actually indicate where they need to be classified. Once we know how that role is classified, then you can go out to build out either a job description that you're going to recruit for if it's an employee or if it's a contractor and you're like, hey, all of this stuff fits into to a project basis, I could just post it in Facebook and be like, hey, does anyone have a, a great web designer that can help me with these projects here and there? But it's easy come, easy go. So if you find that it's project based and it's occasional and it's you know something every now and then, just make sure that you're really meeting those three requirements for a contractor. And those are going to be based. They're all over the IRS website or even in our blog, which I'm happy to share. But essentially, there's three different ways that they classify it. Financial, so who is setting the rates? Your contractor, you're not going to say, hey, I'm looking for a web designer and I want to pay them $12 an hour. You're going to say, hey, I'm looking for a web designer. Send me your pitches. They set their rates. The second is behavioral, how and when they're doing the work. They have the systems. They have the logins. They they pay for their Adobe subscription, all of that good stuff. So how you're managing them. You can give them maybe a revision or two, depending on what their contract says. But if you want to be able to develop them and bring them into your culture and you want to give them feedback and then you want to help, you want to have them serving your clients directly or even managing your team, then that's an employee. So you're not going to phrase it in the same way. You're going to actually add that to the job description that's internal and it's based on what your company culture looks like. And the third is just it's going to be a little bit of the financial and the behavioral mixed together, but all of the essentially everything is going to be listed on the IRS website and then also based on the state that you live in. So being able to cross-reference all three of these categories with the state included, then you'll be able to see exactly how people are classified. But I'm sure that this probably brings up questions. So you put on Facebook, oh, I need a web designer. I need them for some projects. I just need to offload this stuff off my plate, you know, whatever the case may be. Then you're like, well, how do I know where they live? So how do I know what what laws to follow? How do I know what I have to you know refer back to? You know, that kind of a thing. But really, when it comes to that, we don't even need to know where they live, especially if they're the ones setting the rate and deciding how they're behaving. You're not pouring into them. They're providing their own services for you, just the same way that I do with my clients. There's nothing wrong with contractors, but there are so many rules that you have to follow to make sure that if you are pouring into people on your team, they should be employees. So in, I usually like to think of it as a bubble. So when you bring people into your bubble, then it expands and expands and expands. But contractors are like those little bubbles that get stuck to your bubble. So they're outside of it. They're in their own ecosystem, but they're not necessarily growing with your business. They're just kind of a separate little thing that's attached to it that's helping you get the job done. You will notice over time that you want those people to be more part of your culture. You want them to respond on a timely basis. You want them to behave in a way that is responding more quickly or directly relating to your clients or representing your brand voice or requiring a Additional training from you. And then we want to think about converting those contractor positions into employees and bringing them into your bubble and having that business grow instead of just having these like little guys sitting on the outside of us. So I think it's really fun to think about how we can play with that. But there are so many ways that you can be creative with it. It just really is important that you're cross referencing those those rules that the IRS gives us, especially for United States employers. They people do get in trouble and the average fees will put a small business under absolutely put it under. And it's something such so simple as just an employee or a contractor. For example, there's no such thing as a full time contractor that doesn't exist. So if a contractor reaches out to the IRS and they're like, yeah, I've been treated with all these, you know, I meet all these qualifiers. The IRS is going to research it and then they're going to bill you for back taxes and penalties. And it's going to cost you a lot of money to fix that. So take it seriously. It's really important. And not only that, but we also have to make sure that we are respecting the boundaries of the contractors we work with. So we say, like, let the freelancers be free if they have a rate, if they have a contract, if they have stipulations, if they have revision requirements, we follow those or we find another person to do that job that's a contractor. If you want to control all of that stuff, you got to go with an employee and there's no real way to negotiate around it. It's very, very easy for businesses to get in trouble in this way. And unfortunately, we have to help people dig themselves out of it all the time.
0: Okay, that was a lot of amazing information. I was like, trying to find like, a little bit of an edge and to share some of my thoughts, because I have lots of thoughts on these things. I do appreciate your compliance perspective. Like, I do appreciate the compliance perspective. I do agree that there are, you know, we have to, if we don't know our stuff, we've got to find the right people that know our stuff to support our business. And that is really important. But I also don't want to scare I don't love like the, and I know that's not what you're trying to do here, but I I just want our audience to also not be fearful of employees and contractors and building a team. So building a team is part of growing the business. And um, I do think that there are, like contractors are an amazing way also to grow your business, especially as a small business. Like a lot of small businesses are not able to make a full time employee to start with. And so I just want to make sure that we're not like I, I I have grown CEO school for many years with contractors without, you know, maybe one full time employee. And now we're transitioning as I've now transitioned, you know, into Actually wanting to scale this business, moving it to a full-time business. And I am now bringing on full-time employees into the organization, deciding which ones are contractors, et cetera. But I did want to share a little bit about my journey here because for a very long time, we had one full-time employee and, and multiple contractors doing various roles. And so there are, there's no cookie cutter way to grow and scale an organization. And at, you know, at my, at my uh, company at Stacks, I had almost, you know, 350 full time employees, barely contractors. And so it was a different style company as well. And so I did want to kind of share those two perspectives. Um, and Kira is right in making sure that everything is done from a compliance standpoint. It is all classified somewhere, but sometimes, and this is where like the not like sometimes there's so much knowledge, especially when it comes to, I feel the same way when I talk to, uh, you know, an accountant or somebody who does taxes, like you guys have so much amazing knowledge, but sometimes it's like too much like of like, okay, I get it. I get it. We've got all of these things to check off. But as a CEO and as a business owner, like it is still our job to make sure like all the lights are on, all the things are moving. And so there isn't a perfect one size fits all. What is important is we find the right people like Hira who knows all of their stuff so that they can help and support us and making sure that all of those things are checked aside because, um, you know, it is really important to like to do it our way and to do it in like the way that we feel most comfortable as well. And so scale does happen in every single way and I can attest to it not only for my multiple businesses but also with you know just now supporting I don't know over 3,000 women through CEO school like every business looks different right Kira uh, and so it is there's no perfect way but what is uh, really important is to find the right experts who like know all of the right things so that we can classify things uh, in the right way so thank you for sharing all of this like I was gonna ask about like the differences but you covered you covered all of the all of the awesome tactical stuff. So uh, really appreciate those perspectives. That was going to be one of my, my big questions. I'm like, What's the difference between just the contractors and the full-time employees? So that's where I see a lot of gray, uh, gray areas being, uh, being mixed. So I appreciate that. Hey, everyone. It's Sanira here. CO School is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are part of a family of shows designed to help professionals listen, learn, and grow by providing access to the world's leading B2B podcast like Techish, hosted by Abadesi and Michael, a podcast by two millennials talking about all things tech, pop culture, and life. I recently enjoyed listening to Michael and Abadesi dive into Frenemies cloning your tech product. Is joining a startup even worth it? The Sunday Times, 35 richest under 35, and they even talked about the end of secession. It was quite the enjoyable episode. So listen to Techish wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm so glad you're here and enjoying the CEO School podcast. If you're tuning in, chances are that you are an entrepreneur looking for accessible knowledge, resources, and guidance to help you scale to your next level. Well, look no more. Here's the thing. Entrepreneurship is a lonely road and quality mentorship is especially scarce especially as a female founder. That's why I'm so excited to share the CEO Collective with you, the number one platform for entrepreneurs who want to scale by the CEO School. No matter what stage you're at, we meet you there and have the exact tools and resources that you need to finally reach your next level. Learn exactly how we can support you and your business at theceoschool.co slash collective. Uh, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about some of the aspirational things as a CEO. So there are the, um, you know, you know, um, compliance side of it. But as a CEO, there are things that, we know, we want our organization to work for us. You said you had mentioned the four-day work week. And I do think that right now in a day that, you know, as small businesses, it's really hard to compete to go get the right style employees as well because you have so many corporations that, have unbelievable benefits, um, unbelievable perks. And, you know, what are ways that as a small business owner, I'm trying to grow, I'm trying to scale, I know I need help. I have this huge fear that I can't afford the help, right? So what are the ways that, and a four-day work week is like a great perk example, but how are ways that, me, you know, Sanira as a small business owner can scale and grow and offer amazing benefits to my organization without it costing me a lot. Yeah.
1: And I think that lends itself to kind of the middle ground of what you were speaking to earlier is that you don't have to go from contractor to full-time employee. You can have a part-time employee that works a few hours a week. So it, it just makes sure that we know the differences so that we know how to classify yeah. them, but you can still stay within your budget. And, it, and want, again, want everyone to feel really empowered because It's not about a yes or a no or can I or can't I, it's more about how can I use this to my advantage to make sure that I'm getting the help I need, but also just... Making that brainstorm list, figuring out what you want somebody to do, figuring out their classification, and then you can figure out what you can afford. And I think that lends itself to this question really well because some people are going to be out here offering all these amazing benefits, four day work week, you know, paid vacation, unlimited time off or limited time off, depending. There's a big debate about the difference of which one's actually better. Um, Sick time, there's even regulations, you know, about what type of sick time to provide or how to communicate with your team. And I think that that just continues to come back to your values of your business because I know for us, it might sound like a four day work week's the way to go, or you might spend some time on TikTok and it's like four day work week or else I'm going to die, you know, whatever. But I know when I talk to my team and when I hire my team, which you can get really far with a small team, um, having like, you know, as you attested to having one full time employee and some dedicated contractors is sometimes all you need, and that's totally fine. But that also goes back to what you value in your business, too. So being really clear about that, my team doesn't care about having a four day work week, they just care about being able to work when it fits into their schedule. It's the summer now. A lot of my team members are working a couple of hours in the afternoon and then hopping in at night after the kids go to bed and they're going to the beach all day. And it doesn't really matter to me that much. That's not something that I value as a leader or that's important for me to keep the company running. And it's more than just how you feel. It's also about what's practical for your business. So it isn't practical for me as a person that runs two businesses plus Paradigm to have a four-day work week. I go into the office as a COO during the week. So if I can't reach my people on Fridays or Mondays, that's you know one third of the time that I'm available to talk to them. So my business is built on the way that I'm able to pour into them the best. And so it's really not about like what other people are saying is great or cool or whatever. It's really just about how you can make sure that your business is functioning at its highest and then making sure that you're really honest with your team about that before you ever bring them in. Um, I think the biggest mistake people can make is saying, like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to promise this and promise that you prop. It's your first employee like. First, con like first real, like contracted employee that's coming into your business to make sure that they're adding value, you don't really know. Like, I think it's okay to be like, it's really my goal to make sure that we have four day work weeks eventually, but I can't promise that right now. And I want to be clear with you about it. Um, when we start to get in trouble is if there's like retention issues because you weren't, you think you have to impress them, like, no, show up as an authority and a leader right away. And that means showing all of your strengths and your vulnerabilities. If you don't know what it's gonna look like to run a successful business because you're just starting with the hiring and building a team, you can totally be honest with that. And you're right, people will accept that job and want to go on that journey with you. And it'll be a lot more fun for everybody that's involved with it along the way. So, you know, to your point, it's definitely fun to think about benefits and perks, but I think just asking people what is it that's really valuable to you can go such a long way and it may not always be what you think it is so don't assume that you know what's best for everybody that you're bringing in and the talent that you're bringing in but instead just lean into asking those questions and asking them what's really valuable to them and asking them what really matters to them and that's how we make sure that we're building teams full of great talent and don't be afraid to go out on a limb and say like what do you think about this type of benefit is this valuable to you or would you rather just have the cash in your pocket? I will tell you nine times out of ten, my team, no matter what level they're at, full-time, salaried, making six figures, or part-time, hourly, working a few hours a week, there's no, we don't know what people really need. We don't know how their financial situation is. So it's best to just ask, like, would it mean more to you to have a health insurance stipend that I'm covering for you that you don't have to think about? Or would it mean more to you to have a higher pay? So you can go and decide what type of care that you want. And there, I really can't predict what the answer is going to be. And so, if people are telling you, hey, like employees want this, employees want that, contractors want this, contractors want that, it doesn't matter. That's their experience. I'm sure your previous business had a set of, you know, like you said, tons of employees that probably had different goals and different you know, visions for their life. And all of them probably would have wanted a different thing had they had the option to choose. So I think with small business, it's so fun because we can really create a culture that enriches it for the people that we really want on our team for what they actually want and need to keep them around and not just what other people are telling us to provide. And there's no shame in not being able to provide the highest caliber benefits and all of that stuff along the way. You can ease your way into it. You know, you can work your way up to it.
0: I I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I would say that there are still, it's still hard though. So like as much as like, I do feel like employees now, now because of, and I think there's a little bit of a shift in the marketplace with the layoffs that have taken place. I think the market has like like, uh, recalibrated itself from a uh, job market perspective as well, that there are, um, you know, it's, it's really hard right now. There's a lot of people being laid off. It's, you know, it's competitive out there. I have lots of friends who um, are laid off that don't have positions that are looking for the right fit. And now they're open to, they're being more open to different styles of roles, smaller companies and things like that. When if you ask them two years ago, that was not the case. Like they were, you know, there was a great resignation. There's a lot of, there's a lot of change that has taken uh, place in the market post pandemic and then post recession right now during the recession or during this now next uh, market uh that we're in and so i do want to just empathize with you know like it, it's still not easy to go uh, hire like find the right employees hire them because uh you know they still want the, you know people do want more remote work people do want more flex time people do want they want a lot of things uh and especially i would say that the uh, younger the um, uh, the employees I think their values are not bad they're just different than the values of of the Millennials and values that are different from the from the from from the Generation Xers and so I do think you know what is important what Kira is saying is to know who you're hiring and what's important to them because what's important to a Gen Zer might not be the same of what's important maybe it's that flex time right maybe it's like I don't care I want to work anywhere in the world And that's what I need. So I want to be able to operate on different time zones because I want to travel and travel the world. Whereas maybe for a millennial mother who has young kids, maybe it's about having that flex time, maybe Fridays off. And that's why a four day work week might be important or being able to pick up her kids at three. So she's fine from working. Like she wants to go from like seven, you know, from school time from seven to three or whatever that looks like. I do think it's important that you design an organization with the people, uh, in mind first, but it is tough to try to compete across all the different benefits, a lot of the different sectors. So I was hoping for if, I don't know if there are any, are there any great like tools that you recommend things that smaller companies can almost like flex? Like now I feel like in 2023, there's like a software for everything and we've got like, things cost a lot cheaper than they did a decade ago because there's so many great tools and, and services. Are there things that you have found that are great perks, great ways to get health insurance for? Like these are all things that we want to give our teams. No small business owner is like, oh, I don't want that. That's not how that. they, we want it all for our people, mm-hmm. right? That that is the I would say especially for uh, women founders, right? This this show is like every woman founder listening here is like, I want everything for my people. I want it all for them, right? So how do we equip her? To, I, I like that we said to do it on stages. Let's get them hired. Let's ask them what they want. But do you have any specific tools, like uh, tips that you have, things that you're seeing in the industry that we can be like, yes, let's apply? those things for our for our businesses.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that there's a huge misconception for how much it costs to actually provide these traditional benefits, um, especially yeah. when it comes to retirement and, you know, like retirement accounts or 401ks or things like that. Um, we use a company called Guideline and it costs, I don't know, 50 bucks a month and you can either match your employee's contribution or not, but it provides them a 401k that they can use and it's just automatically coming out of your pay. Paid- payroll every single month and that's included in your in your employees cost so understanding your budgets is going to be important for that too and as well as you know with health insurance it's the same thing you can provide a stipend based on what you can afford Um, and there's other resources out there there we use we have a couple of health insurance reps I guess we would say that help with matching people with private health insurance plans that you can subsidize so you're not actually having to get on a group plan in order to provide this health insurance benefit and you can and you can just commit to a 100 bucks a month to reimburse them and they can find a plan that works for them. And it also isn't calling into question these like big commitments that you have to make for year over year for these health group plans and things like that. Um, so there are so many ways that we've been able to really help people build benefits and perks and tweak them based on their employee, because other than a retirement plan, any other perks and benefits that you offer can be individual based on the person that you're working with. So with the exception of that, that retirement, there's really no nothing else that has to be the same across the board, as long as you're clear about what is expected for each individual so that there isn't any weird issues like down the road with favoritism or whatever the case may be. But most people aren't going to have that issue. And I think when it when it, when it also comes down to that is that the number one thing that your employees want is an environment where they can count on a good work environment. They're treated well. And a lot of times it's flexibility, even more so than when, you know, like I said earlier, like four day work week or flexibility. People are going to go with that flexibility every time. And I think that's generally across the board what you can expect. Um, and what I've after working in this field for 10 years specifically and in the workforce for 15, every few years there's another There's another flow, like you mentioned, whether it's the pan. I mean, the pandemic was a big one. I spoke in Forbes a little bit about their great resignation. It haunted me for months. Um, But we have to be able to tweak and adjust our strategies the same way for our recruiting for our hiring for our hr for our staffing our teams the same way we do our marketing strategies based on what's going on in the world but if you have a really solid core about who you are as a leader and what you want your company to do then you can ride the wave and sometimes it's going to be easier to find great talent and sometimes it's going to be harder but you staying the same throughout all of it is really the most important thing and i hope that people walk away from this episode feeling Like you can flex and bend in all different types of directions and build whatever team you want to build to get to whatever your company's goals are. And like to your point earlier, it's totally flexible. There is no blueprint for every single person. There's so many options out there and it's super fun to to build it. And having a team is I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but it's my favorite, most rewarding, like brings me to tears when I get these amazing emails from people about how I've affected them and had this impact on them. So, yes, I know all of this is really overwhelming, but at the end of the day, I'm just a mushy person that's happy to be making an impact on other women that can work in a place where they're treated fairly, learning things and contributing to their to the to society in a really positive way. And that's why we're doing all this. That's the real reason behind it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I have one team literally tattooed on my arm. That's my core, my biggest value that I carry. And I do believe in building companies with value and um, one team, one dream like this. See, the team is the most important team over self is like how I operate. And uh, so I do believe that happy teams make for the most successful companies. And that is something that that's why I love building teams. That's why you get you do what you get to do. And you know, I think that and you can build it in, in all the different ways. And I've done it in multiple different facets and fashions. And I think this stuff is super, super important and doing it in, in the way that I love what you said of just, you can build it however you want to, but most important is being authentic to who you are as well. And so you don't have to follow the trend. If it doesn't work for you, like if you are naturally just a more like, you know, micromanage style, like you need that, you know, like maybe the flexibility doesn't work for you. And that's okay. There are people that are, would be happy for like structured work. And like, that's the expectation. And you'll build for much happier teams. If you are clear with how you like your style is as well, especially in small businesses, because you, we are smaller teams and the team interacts so much like in a different capacity than larger, larger companies. And I think that there's more opportunity for, growth in smaller companies, I think it's just, it's more fun to work in small teams. I've worked in like all different, although there's like different styles of like career pathing that we don't have in small, like in, in smaller companies, I think that it's the most rewarding to work in small teams because you can have a lot of impact, like, uh, and see your work, like have that impact. And um, I think that people are looking for that now. They want more work. They want work that's meaningful and work that's impactful. And so don't pull yourself out of the game before you're like, oh, I can't hire. This is like, you know, I, I, you know, this employees are hard. And I know that's a lot of what I share, too, because we want to be real about what it takes when you bring on a team. There is that level of responsibility, but it's super rewarding. And that is how your company grows as well. You don't see companies succeed um, you know, with just a single employee. There are very, very, very few exceptions. And I don't, and that's their definition of success. But for companies that we all know and hear of and have success, they do it through teams. And when you bring on the right person, you know, that one plus one equals three, and that's going to strategically grow your business. And you can't scale without people. Because if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. And that is the power of people and getting the right people around you and the right Experts around you is also important, and so I did. I'm super excited to to bring Kira on on today's episode. Kira's company focuses on just supporting uh, supporting all of you and making sure that all the you know all the things are checked off. So definitely check her out. I'll be linking everything about Paradigm Consulting inside of the show notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode and got a different level of perspective of HR, definitely screenshot it, tag us. Send us your questions. I want to carry this dialogue further with you offline than on the podcast as well to hear your thoughts about all the different things. And, oh, Kira, I had one more question, the tactical question that I did want to ask you on international talent, because there's such a like amazing thing about this global marketplace now that's taking place where we can hire remotely everywhere in the world. What happens if you're now hiring people that are outside of the U.S.? And what are the different things that like are good and like, you know, or, or like that we should be careful for? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on international contractors, employees, part time, however, all of that is. But what are your thoughts on that and how to do it right?
1: Yeah. So with contractors, it's nice and easy because they are in control of how you work together. So just making sure that they're the ones issuing the contracts. They're the ones setting the rates. That way you can always go back to, I was hiring this person and they led me through their process. I'm their client, you know, or I'm their partner. I'm not necessarily bringing them into my team that will protect you in the long run. It can still feel really collaborative, but that legal, that documentation, all of that stuff should be driven by the international contractor. On the flip side of it, if you have somebody that is that you want to hire as an employee internationally, there are so many services that can help you with that. Um, And there's it's it's a three pronged approach. Number one, just making sure that just like any other employee, they're fitting into the role in a place in a way that can increase the productivity of your business, that you're going to get a return on that investment. It's likely going to be a higher initial return or a higher initial investment because you have to make sure that you are registered in other countries as a business, things like that, um, which you can hire other people to do for you. There's like a few different systems. Um, It's a quick Google. I think even like some payroll systems will do it for you now, too. Um, But you are going to then think about that third component, which is essentially just making sure that you are respecting the laws and the compliance regulations that are in wherever they live, because that is what takes over when you when you decide to hire someone internationally is you have to be respectful of the environment that they live in, the laws that they live amongst, and that you're able to provide those types of, you know, that type of accommodation. And it is an extra step, but especially for really specialized businesses, um, finding the right fit and having them be international, it's a it's a leap that you have to overcome in the beginning. And then after that, you just kind of ride it out just like any other employee. Um, most of the time, if it's your it, it can it's a very overwhelming process and it can be a little bit of a sticking point for a lot of people. Um and there's plenty of great talent in the US and it makes the it contractors a are
0: contractors are okay. The contractors are okay uh and the employees are okay too. There's a little bit of a process on the employee side. On the contractor side, it's much much easier. I I do love it. I do think that um there are there's so many great services out there. There's so many great uh, it just allows for a different opportunity for different styles of employees and stuff as well. And I just love the different perspectives sometimes across on teams. And, um, I think it's pretty cool. So it's definitely worth exploring and checking that out as well. All right, Kira, thank you so much for your wisdom and your knowledge today and making HR a little bit more accessible. Hi, I'm so glad you're here and enjoying the CO school podcast. If you're tuning in, chances are that you're a female entrepreneur looking for accessible knowledge, resources, and guidance. Well, look no more. Here's the thing, entrepreneurship is a lonely road and quality mentorship is scarce, especially as a woman. Access to knowledge from other female founders is hard to come by. And when coaching my mentees, I keep finding that they're sitting on gold mines and simply lack a little bit of guidance for scale. That's why I had to interrupt today's show and share the CEO Collective with you. CEO Collective is the number one platform for female founders who want to scale beyond the million dollar mark. No matter what stage you're at, we meet you there and give you the exact tools and resources you need to finally reach your next level. Through mentorship, accountability, community, and education, we've helped thousands of female founders break the millions of revenue and beyond. Between masterclasses led by me and experts, fireside chats with stellar celebrity founders, access to subject matter experts to bust through your blockers, event packed calendars, and more, the value of being inside of the room is quite frankly priceless. Learn exactly how we can support you and your business at thecoschool.co slash collective. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.